Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I, I wonder if some of us, um, like when you say Merry Christmas to your friends and family members, do you ever think of saying a different word? Like instead of Merry, you know, like saying Happy Christmas or Joyful Christmas? Um, so often our culture is kind of ingrained in us that we have to say a certain thing, and uh, it's normal and it's okay um, and it's good. Because when we say Merry Christmas, what we're really saying is, uh, bless you this Christmas. I care for you. I notice you. I, I, I wish you happiness and joy, right? So Merry Christmas has a lot of connotations uh, in it. Um, but we, we don't often say joyful Christmas. And why is that? It's probably because joy is a little bit deeper than happiness, uh, but that's, that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Uh, you know, what does Merry Christmas mean to you? When you say that or when you receive that. You see, in our culture today, uh, we're expected to say these things. And, and it's good, but there's, there's a deeper meaning. We long for joy. We long for joy during this Christmas. We long for healing during Christmas. We long for that peace during Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas may be a simple thing, but I want to dive today into God's word to experience the joy that is in this season. What is the secret to having a joyful Christmas? A joyful Christmas. We need to know that uh, the truth is that the joy of Christmas is in the greatest treasure. And unless your heart is filled with that treasure, you won't be experiencing what God intended you to experience this season. The true joy is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, beginning with his birth, commencing in the incarnation of Christ coming to this earth, that joy was also experienced during the first Christmas. Andy Williams sang a song, and many of you know this song. The, it's the most wonderful time of the year, or the most wonderful time of the year is the title of the song. Um, and sometimes I, I, like, I listen to that on the radio, and I think, Wow, like, is it really the most wonderful time? Like, there, it, like, I want it to be, and I think many of us want it to be. But the question I ask is, like, is there more to life? Is there more to this season than uh, parties for hosting and marshmallows are roasting? Uh, is it uh, like, you know, every, you know, is it the most wonderful time of the year? Everyone telling you uh, to be of good cheer? Is it the ha happiest time of the year, right? Is it, is it, is it, or the season of all? Sorry, I, I, I sang it wrong. But, um, you know, like, this is the question I want to ask. The big idea for this sermon is, is, is this. You and I, you and I can have joy this Christmas because of the greatness and purpose of the birth of Jesus. 
You and I can have joy this Christmas. Like, you see, joy doesn't just come and go. Joy lasts because there is truth. You may be going through the most difficult season of your life. You may be going through suffering and pain and hardship. We live in a broken world. But the Bible calls us to have joy and to know joy and to receive that joy from God. It's no different this Christmas. That's the main point I want to bring uh, through this message. And there's three uh, sub-points to that. The first is this. The joy of Christmas is grounded in glory and goodness. Glory and goodness. If you're taking notes uh, this morning, it's Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. We're going to read that portion of Scripture. The joy of Christmas is grounded in glory and goodness. Whose glory? Whose goodness? Let's look at the passage this morning. And in the same regions where uh, there were shepherds out in the field. I I highlighted that because it's interesting. Shepherds were nobodies. They were kind of like the the, the cast out of society. And, And yet, they were just in that region around Bethlehem. There were shepherds. And it's interesting because you'd think that On Christmas Day, there'd be some sort of pomp and circumstance, this parade of, 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 you know, powerful individuals to come see the king, the king of Israel, to be born. But no, it's just shepherds. They didn't even say if these shepherds believed in God. They were just shepherds. They're shepherds out in the field, keeping their watch or keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is powerful. Don't miss this. When, when God wants to speak to his people, well, we don't have angels coming and talking to us, but we have the word of God that talks about angels, that talks about the, the, the uh, supernatural beings coming to this earth to proclaim a message. The angels The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They're filled with great fear. Why? Because I wish I had a flashlight here. I have one at home that's like about 800 lumens, and some of you guys know that like 800 lumens is pretty powerful, so if I, I flashed it, like right here, uh, in front of your eyes, you would probably be very annoyed. You'd be like, whoa, so bright. But this is no small flashlight. It's not 800 lumens. It's not even 800 million lumens. This is a glory that no one has seen. You see, the first Christmas, you have to understand, when the Bible talks about a supernatural voice, a supernatural being, the angel of the Lord speaking and proclaiming the glory of the Lord, this is some serious stuff. And and, and it's interesting because we we often think of, you know, God's glory being loving and kind and just, you know, that God is so good. He is good to us, but he is to be feared. God is to be feared. He is to be honored. He is to be glorified. We live in a world that constantly glorifies who? Ourselves. 
the people around us, social media. We glorify and we continue to hold on to those things. And God, in his grand purpose on Christmas Day, showed the shepherds something very special. And the, sh- and the shepherds were fearful because, probably because they thought, Am I, what's going to happen to me? I've never seen this before. You see, when sinful man, when sinful human beings encounter the holiness and the glory of God, all there could be is fear. All there could be is just falling flat on their face. Isaiah 6. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Isaiah had this vision of the Lord. And he, and he literally said, I am a man of unclean lips. He recognized his sinfulness. Well, in this case, they were fearful. And then angel of the Lord said, fear not. I love this. He, he doesn't say, well, just chill out, relax. No, he's like, fear not. This is the reason. This glory is not to squash you. This glory is not to punish you. This glory is for you. It's for you. And it's shining all around you. This glory. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a a powerful reminder that the angel pieced together all of prophecy and saying that this is going to happen in Bethlehem and he is going to be called Christ. In verse 12, and this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So my question is, in this passage, why is glory mentioned so many times? Why are the angels singing glory to God in the highest? Why is the glory of God shining around and shown to those individuals? Why? Why? It's because the glory of God demonstrates his majesty and his honor and what he truly deserves. The next slide here says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord is mentioned in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I'm going to quickly go there in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. and verse 5, it says this, This is Isaiah speaking to the people of Israel saying this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a prophecy declaring what is going to happen in the future. The glory of the Lord. What kind of glory is he talking about here, right? In verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is John the Baptist who is, in John chapter 3, is going to be born. And then he's going to, the only thing that he's going to be doing is preparing a way for the message of the cross. The message of Jesus Christ. Preparing the way for Jesus. 
And in verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That is awesome. In 42, verse 8, it says this. I am the Lord, that is my name. I am Yahweh. I am the covenant-keeping God. That is my name. And my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In those days, the, the, the struggle of the, the, the people were that they had gone away and astray from God. The Assyrian captivity in the north and the Babylonian uh, captivity in the south. The Assyrian destruction in the north, so to say, as well. And so the people of God who went astray from God needed to be reminded that, that, that God, Yahweh, is his name and he gives no glory to anyone else. And his praise, all of that praise is, is deserving of him and him alone. No carved idols. No carved idols. No, no, uh, no things of material possession. Nothing deserves the praise and the honor except for God and God alone. And the second point here is fear not. Fear not. Exodus 20, verse 18. You, you see in this story that when they were surrounding Mount Sinai, they had gathered around hoping to hear from Moses. They did not want to hear from God because they thought it was such a terrifying experience with earthquakes, powerful shaking, that they had thought that they would die. This is not like, oh, I'm going to come and see what God has to say. I'm going to open a bag of potato chips and see if he can, oh, what are the Ten Commandments, God? Oh, let me, no, this is a terrifying experience. God says, you know, you, there shall be no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he goes through the Ten Commandments. And th so through Moses, there's this experience that they had ha had at the, um, at the base of Mount Sinai. It was a terrifying experience. It was a terrifying experience to be in the presence of a holy God. But also we, we see as well in chapter 24, 16 to 17, and also in other passages as well, that God, there's no other God but him. And that he desires his people to worship him and him alone. So it's a terrifying experience. But, but also, I want to say, this, there's a gentle, restorative experience. The pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, the pillar of cloud over the tent of meeting. The pillar, and the, and the scriptures tell us in Leviticus that the glory of God filled the temple. The glory of God filled the, the tabernacle. It wasn't a terrifying experience. It was the reassurance that God was with them. Now we know this Christmas, Emmanuel means God with us. And in the Old Testament, as they were walking through the wilderness and wandering through the wilderness, this was, their, this was the way in which they knew God was with them, was, was a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was their claim to know that God was guiding, directing, and living among them.
the glory of God is not terrifying only. It is incredibly, incredibly comforting. It is powerfully comforting to know that God is with you. That's the Old Testament. But now that we see in the New Testament, in the next slide, the glory of God shone around them. We see in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Christmas message is that the glory of God brings us joy. The joy of Christmas is grounded in glory. It's grounded in the fact that God is glorified and that he is amazing and that he is majestic and that he sent his own son to be born in a manger. Not, not to be majestic in the world's eyes, but to be humble because God is humble. Well, you know, this is amazing, right? God is humble. He is powerful, but he is humble. And, and, and to, to provide us this glory, that Jesus Christ filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And one person once mentioned to me, why does it say uh, in, in Scripture that uh, Jesus Christ uh, filled with, uh, is full of grace and truth and not truth and grace? I think it's because the reality is that so often we, we, we were like, I want to know the truth. I want to tell the truth. I want to make sure that person knows the truth. The truth is this. And the truth is you are wrong and I am right. Like We live in a society like that. But, but, but this is Jesus. Jesus came down not to, to hammer down a judgment upon us. He was filled with grace, but he was also filled with truth. The truth of the fact that he came from the Father. The truth of the fact that he is glorified. The truth of the fact that he was going to die for our sins. The truth of the fact that he would raise up after three days. He was going to do that. That is truth. But in all of that, he's filled with grace. Filled with grace. And the second part of this is the good news of great joy. In Titus, I've been studying this lately um, in the past couple of years, and, and Titus chapter 2 is, is one of my favorite passages, and it says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. What is this good news? The good news in, in Greek is eogalion, which means proclamation of that which is good. And so the good news of great joy in this passage is talking about the grace of God. Verse 11 of chapter 2 of Titus. Paul says to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God in his grace has provided us not only salvation but training to live for him. 
I mean, this is what the Christian life is all about. This is what Christmas is about, to be reminded that the grace of God given to us, this good news of the gospel can be lived out and that God gives us the power to live that out. He trains us to to, to say no to worldly passions and to live godly lives in this present age. That is the grace of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Without the transforming power of the gospel, it's all intellectual knowledge. And that's not good. Right? It's not good enough. It needs to be transformative. And then just later on in chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, look with me down here, chapter 3, verse 4 to 7. It says here, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. We were saved because of his goodness, because of his kindness, not because of our good works, not because of what we've done, not because we tried hard enough, not because we said no to that sin. It's because of his goodness, period, full stop. It's his glory and his goodness. And it says here, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? That it's the kindness and the goodness of God that we can experience at Christmas. And it's all throughout the scripture. And finally, the knowledge of salvation. Luke 1 verse 76 to 79. It speaks clearly of of Zechariah who um, was Elizabeth's husband. And it says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. He's talking about uh, John the Baptist there. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. This is amazing. Like, it's all throughout the Christmas story. The good news of the knowledge of salvation was, was proclaimed on that day. Luke 2, verse 29 to 32. Simeon, who was a devout man, was moved by the Holy Spirit. And literally, when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, he actually took, he took Jesus and raised him up. And he said this, Simeon said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He was an old man and he had ready, ready to go, ready to pass. And he said, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Isn't that amazing? That that the first Christmas was filled with glory, was grounded in the glory of God, but also in the goodness of his salvation to his people. Not only is the joy of Christmas grounded in the glory, in glory and goodness of God, the joy of Christmas, and this is a second point, is experienced by faith. Now look down with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. 
when the angels went away from, um, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that the Lord had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's a few things that you need to notice about what happened in this, in this section, this story. First of all, the shepherds, when the, the, the angels went up, the first thing they did was, well, let me, um, let me figure this out. Let me see whether or not that voice was clear, if it was actually of God. Maybe we should discuss, have a focus group, and maybe discuss this for a few hours. We don't have to, let's take our time. No, he said, let us go. They were filled with faith. And the Bible tells us this because these lowly shepherds, though they are just lowly shepherds, were shepherds nonetheless filled with faith in the living God. And the amazing thing is this, is that these shepherds, God had chosen to, to be the one, the recipients of this great news. And they were the first ones to demonstrate faith and trust in the living Savior. Isn't that amazing? The first, like, when Jesus was born, there were people who believed in him already. They, there were people who believed and trusted in him already. The shepherds let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They, they knew that God had made this known to them. And, and not only that, what did, what did they do? They went and found Mary and Joseph. And then did they just stay in the, where the, in the manger was? Did they just stay there? No, it's true. Where did they go? Yes, exactly. They, they went somewhere, right? They went and in verse, uh, 18, uh, verse 17, they made known the saying and that had been told them concerning this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The good news of the gospel, the good news of that Jesus has come to, let me ask this question. When was the last time you said, you know what, it doesn't, I don't care how uncomfortable it gets during Christmas, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, everything's good, I'm just going to ask you about how things are, Merry Christmas. That is good and fine and dandy, but the thing is that our hearts are filled with joy. Our hearts have Christ. Our hearts are filled with the joy that has been given by God to us. Why are we holding back? Why are we holding back? Why aren't we like the shepherds telling other people about the birth of Christ, the significance of the birth of Christ to us? And that's what I struggle with. My neighbors, I, I gave them gifts, but I was like thinking, like, do I have enough time to, I, I want to sit down and I want to tell them. Brothers and sisters, we have opportunities, not just during Christmas, but throughout the year, throughout your lives, you have opportunities to tell others, to be like those shepherds, because they had faith. 
And that joy came up to the surface. Notice what it says there. And then they had joy. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they had seen and heard. You see, the joy of Christmas is experienced by faith. Faith in Jesus. What did Mary do? She pondered these things in her heart. There was a personal reflection. There was a the word pondered here in the Greek actually means preparing to remember things in the future about what happened at that moment. That's what it means in the Greek. And, and, and that's amazing because when you think about what she, what the scriptures tell us, she wasn't the one who, you know, said, oh, praise the Lord. Like, yes, there was, there was uh, Mary's Magnificat a little bit earlier, but then she also had this time to ponder these things in her heart. This was her faith journey. And that's, that's maybe your faith journey this Christmas too. As we've been singing these songs, uh, you know, like what's in your heart? What, what wells up in your heart? Is it love for God, love for Christ, thankfulness, joy? But also, like the shepherds, they were praising. They were praising the Lord and they also went to other people. So faith, faith. Is, is trusting and believing and pondering. But faith can also be praising and proclaiming. That's what we need to do in this Christmas. Faith, the joy of Christmas can only be experienced. And that, it was that first Christmas that these shepherds and Mary experienced that joy. And finally, the last point is this. The joy of Christmas is Jesus. The joy of Christmas is Jesus. Pastor Ted yesterday spoke about the name Jesus. Jesus, his name, not Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. But the name Jesus is the name that the angel gave and told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Before Jesus was born. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. There's a couple of things that are happening at this, at this point, but I want to talk about this in the last verse. The last verse in this passage is, is, is very fascinating. Verse 21, if you can have this on the screen. Verse 21, notice what it says. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There are a couple things. I'm going to say something personal, but I'll say it a little bit later. But there are a couple things about prophecy and there's a couple things about theology that we have to understand about this very verse. The end of eight days, it really proclaims this, uh, this clarity about the covenant that God had with Abraham. It was a bilateral covenant as well as a unilateral covenant. The unilateral covenant was that God was going to make Abraham into a great nation. You know, the bilateral covenant was this is a sign for you, chapter 17, and that's the next passage right here. This is the, my covenant. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. It's not an if, and, or but. It is you must be. Because this is a covenant, not a wishy-washy thing. This is from God. Genesis chapter 17, and that's why the Israelites had to 
take the step of making sure on the eighth day that every male was circumcised. Now we think of this as like, oh, this is religious order. This is the Old Testament. This is something in the past. No! Like, like the reality of that circumcision was not just the physical act of the circumcision. It was to tell us that the promises of God are kept. That we serve a living God that shows his grace towards us, but he does things in order and he does things in, in, in the truth and he keeps his promises and he never lies. Though we live in a world filled with lies and untruth, God himself never lies and he will always come through. This is, this is the truth of this verse. It's like, it, don't, don't skip this. This is so important. And the verse then also says, if we, it says, if we can go back to uh, the, the previous slide there. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before. You know, so many things happened before the birth of Jesus. So many things happened. The, 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 the prophets spoke the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, spoke of the virgin birth. A 9, verse 6, talks about he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There was, there was all of this prophecy. But the angel, the angel just said the word. What's the word? Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua. In the Hebrew, Yeshu in Hindi, Jesus in Greek, Yeso in Chinese, Aisa in Arabic, Jesu in Italian. I, that's as many as I can get to. But I mean, I, there's the word, the name Jesus is known among the world. There's a reason for this. You know, some people might think, oh yeah, like Jesus, and then Hollywood uses it as a, as, a, as a flippant like comment, taking the name of the Lord in vain. But hey, guess what? The name Jesus, it's out there. And, 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 the, and the, the reason why Jesus is so important and not just Jesus Christ is because the Jewish people knew that Yeshua Mashiach, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the one to come, that was expected for the Jewish people. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But the powerful thing is that Jesus came down not primarily for us first. He came for the Jew because he is the promised one, the Messiah, the one who is going to save his people from their sins. But then he grafted in, and the reality of this is that every person who names the name of Jesus, who believes in him, who trusts in him, who asks for forgiveness, will have eternal life. That is the truth of the name of Jesus. We serve a God who is not just Christ. He is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus I was, uh, when I was 16, I w was at another Baptist church, and I remember 
just feeling really exhausted during Christmas. I, I felt like I, I just really didn't understand why there was so much expectation, so many things to do, so many parties to go to, so many things to do. And I was like getting so busy and my parents were, were frustrated too and, and they understood that every year you're expected, it gets busy. But it wasn't until I, I just sat in the pew listening to the message, listening to this story, I remember this very thing in my heart. I remember God showing me probably for the first time that I wasn't treasuring Jesus Christ. That, that, that it, was all, it was all a facade at times. But the main thing that God wanted me to do was to find joy in him. Was to receive this joy that is called Jesus. Jesus, who is my Savior, my Lord, he was born in a manger, not in a palace. He lived a life to give his life as a ransom for many. He had no place to sleep. And he came to give his life and to die on the cross for my sin and for the sin of all who believe in him. That's the Jesus that was born. And that's the Jesus I worship. And that's the Jesus that brings me joy, not only during Christmas, but every single day. The final wrap-up is this. The last, uh, just to wrap up things up, the joy of Christmas is grounded in glory. Glory and goodness. The joy of Christmas is experienced by faith. And the joy of Christmas is Jesus. Can I just say, I'll just maybe change the last one on the spot here. The joy of life is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that during a season when the world tries to twist our arm and tries to tell us what we are to celebrate, what we're not supposed to celebrate, that God, you are our rock and our salvation. You are the steady hand. You are the one who provides us this grace and truth that will be with us forevermore. You are the one who came to us. You are the one who died for us, Lord. You are the one who loves us. Lord, I pray for hearts that are ponder. I pray for hearts right now that are filled by the power of your Holy Spirit with joy and wonder. And I pray for hearts, maybe this morning, that are broken, that are hurting, that need healing, that by the power and strength of you and you alone, that you would do that. And Lord, thank you so much for this Christmas that we're able to enjoy once again worshiping you praising you and glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen.